You're listening to Go with Jamarlin Martin. We have a go hard or go home approach as we talk to the leading tech leaders, politicians, and influencers. Let's go. Today we have Jacques Bastian, uh, the founder and CEO of The Shade Agency and serial entrepreneur. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited. You use the word hustlepreneur. Yeah. Uh, explain that concept. Yeah. You know, the my definition for the word, right? Because so I was born in Haiti. Yeah. And coming here when I was 10, so I know what life is like back at home and I know what life is like here. It's probably that's probably the reason why a lot of people from the Caribbean naturally just work so much harder than those who are from here, right? Yeah. Because we're we're privileged to even have the opportunity to come to a country like this. So hustle has always been part of my DNA. So when I knew I had everything that I've ever started, I've had zero experience. I started teaching uh, in college. I had zero experience teaching. I started companies. I had zero experience. The only thing I had was hustle. That's all I had uh, was the amount of work that I put in. So. A hustlepreneur, you know, to me, is somebody who works both smart and hard, right? So there are those who say things like you got to work smart, right? And that's that makes perfect sense. And there are those who say you got to work hard. But I think a hustlepreneur is, is somebody who embodies both of those things where they're able to get more within certain hours that people that more within an hour that those other people may not be able to get done in a day. The people who look like us, uh, entrepreneurs, uh do you find uh, that you see more hustlepreneurship with immigrant black folks than uh, African Americans here? Hundred percent, hundred percent, without a doubt. And um, you know, and and I think it's just a product of our environment. You know, my my wife and I spent um, three months in Southeast Asia within the last few months, and seeing life over there. It really, like, it really helped us check our privileges because things we complain about over there, they'd be happy to have, right? Kind of like the stuff that we complain about, right? And we raise concerns about. You guys come over here, and you're like, "What are you guys talking right, about?" Right, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, like you know, I legit remember, um, you know, I like first of all, I, I remember in Haiti, like we, you know, I probably only used to own one pair of uh, sneaker throughout the year. I remember, like, we had to work for every single meal, whether it was, like, going to catch, uh, you know, the animal that's going to be cooked or going to get the fruits, right? So every single thing we had, there was some work component, right? And when I come here, you know, to America with your Ubers and things like that, I'm excited. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm not complaining, you know, and I don't, I'm not one of those folks who, who think that's lazy or, like, hey, this generation or anything like that. Yeah. I'm, but I, I'm, I'm happy for the privilege, but if it did not exist... I would also be okay, right? So I yeah. think it's definitely just product of our environment. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, I was uh, traveling in uh, Mozambique and I was watching the kids uh, play soccer uh, without shoes. And I feel like to to have a good perspective on where you sit, right. uh, you need to just have uh, kind of different flavors of, ex- of experience. For uh, sure. Uh, you're a serial entrepreneur. How has a failure... Uh, helped you today get to where you are today? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, it. I'm a product of failure. You know what yeah. I mean? I think that's all I know how to do is fail. Like, as I said, I think that the, the most important thing about my story that I always share with people is that I had zero experience. And every new thing that I go into, I have zero experience. But I embrace the journey. You know, I, I've done this long enough to understand that it takes trial and error. It takes this not going right. 
And instead of complaining about it, I use that opportunity to learn, see how do you know how do we improve and things like that. So I mean, failure everywhere from hiring the wrong people to making the wrong investments. I mean, the list goes on. We fail every single day. Yeah. Every single hour, there's some sort of failure happening, right? Because yeah, and as an entrepreneur, that you know, a lot of people think it's like it's like uh, just slope straight up, mm-hmm. right? You start this thing, you put a little work in it, and it goes all the way up, and you start seeing um, sort of like hockey stick results, right? But instead, it's really like whether it's finances or your emotions or just the whole journey itself, it's just up and down. It's up and down. Do you think there's uh, something that's tremendously defective in our culture where when we fail, like, hey, uh, this sister's business was closed down or this brother's business uh, closed down or didn't make it. Uh, man, you know, they messed up. They did this versus, hey, they went out and gave up a job opportunity to go out and get it. And they have to take risks, right? High risk, high reward, high failure. Uh, and do you think that uh, there's a, a tremendous opportunity to remix the culture where when we see people failing at business, uh, it's actually the inverse of where our culture is today. It's like, man, they went out there to try something new. They took chances. Most likely that failure is going to lead to some success later on. Right. hundred uh, percent. I forget which book I was reading. It was talking about uh, the, the culture in, in Japan. And yeah. it was like how when you compare the U.S. to Japan, the way they look at failure is completely different. So you look at us in school, when you fail, you get a bad grade. You look down upon, you get detention. So it's there's a negative. It's it's not considered learning. It's just called failing. Yeah. Right. Whereas over there, the way they they sort of look at the culture, it's like when you fail, it's an opportunity to know what you need to, what not to do. Right. Yeah. And and I don't I don't I, I wish I remember the book, but they they shared some like scientific data that said that based on their way of looking at things, people end up being more successful over there because it's like from the beginning they're they're learned they they're trained how to look at failure, right? Yeah. Because if I was looking at failure in business like I learned in school, it would be like, man, I didn't get this project. I'm you know detention or something that looks like that, right? Whether let me just quit or whatever the case may be, but Fast forward to today, the way we look at failure is just, you know, another opportunity to we just learn what not to do and we can try again in a different sort of a different approach. Yeah. So I, I agree 100 percent that I think the culture of failure in the U.S. and the way we sort of like look at it and the way we, we treat folks who fail in, in that whole thing. I think it, it could seriously use a, a, a huge 180. Do you see delta between black American culture and mainstream culture in terms of the perception or value of, of failure? It's a great question. I think it's, it's harder for us. Yeah. You know, because in addition to everything I just said, we are black, right? And, and there's like, the stakes are a lot higher. And so it's one of those things where like, in a perfect world, you want to look at failure as something that you can accept and learn from and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But if we're being realistic, right, it's already so much harder for us black entrepreneurs. When we fail, it a lot of times it could also look like we're bringing our people down. Like we're, yeah. we're, we're looking, you We've know, got if, the people if there's the a back. big, right, like yeah. if there's a big company that, you know, the biggest, the big black publication that does this, the big black owned whatever, right? For like for me, we want to. I'm rooting for them. Yeah, it seems like we want to. When when we see 
our business people struggling or their enterprise struggling, it seems like we're inclined uh, uh, at times to beat them down. Oh, they don't know what they're doing, this and that. Uh, however, uh, in the culture of Silicon Valley, as you know, a lot of folks, they didn't hit, uh, they didn't really hit the big liquidity button, our big success on the first try. You take Uber, for example, the, the founder uh, filed for bankruptcy with his first business. Uh, second business, I believe, got into a lot of legal trouble, a lot of lawsuits. Third business is, is Uber. But the culture out there is like, hey, you just fell on your first startup. Where's the next one, man? You know, yeah. what's up? Fell fast, fell hard. Yeah. So, um, no, 100%. You started your own uh, agency, uh, Shade. What problem are you trying to solve there? I think to, to, to sort of give you the sort of bigger story. So, in, when I went to school, I went to school upstate New York in Albany. Uh, I met... My girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife today, we started an agency, just regular marketing agency working for everybody from lawyers to construction workers and the list goes on. And, um, you know, but around 2016 or so, we, we, we hit this point in our life where we just sort of started questioning, like, what we were doing, what value were we actually adding to culture in general? Yeah. Right? We're not the most successful people in the world. However, we have overcome a lot of things that normally we're not supposed to, right? Yeah. We were sitting in certain tables we're not supposed to sit in. We knew certain people we're not supposed to know. So we, we started sort of looking at, you know, what can we actually be for the culture? And that's that time we, we made a decision that everything we did from that point on was going to be using our experiences, our connections, our, our skills to help improve the life of people like us and bring more opportunities to our communities. And since then, that's been the mission that we've built every other company around. So Shade was the first movement towards that that vision, right? So we saw an opportunity to improve, to do two things. One, improve representation as a whole in media, but also help black and brown creators earn money from their influence. As an agency, we see the budgets as being thrown around. 50K here, 10K here, 100K there. But whether we're in the project as a partner to the brand or we're a partner to another agency, what we didn't see were we didn't really see many people that look like us getting those budgets. Right. And it makes sense. You know, I spent some time looking into sort of like human psychology and why why we're dealing with the things that we deal with. And, you know, you naturally are more comfortable with people that look like you, act like you, sound like you, come from the same place as you. So it's understandable why maybe those other casting agencies only casted white talent or white creators. But us having the opportunity and privilege to be in the seats that we were in, to be able to meet with the people that we met, we decided that we were going to start an agency where essentially we bring our friends to the table. And that started, that's what started Shade. Launched Shade uh, October 2016. And today... You know, we, we're now uh, managing uh, 85 creators and having, you know, the the blessing to, to be able to have them, you know, on board with campaigns with brands like McDonald's and, and um, American Express. And with, with these creators, uh, what percentage of your creator portfolio uh, clients are exclusive? So we have a, about half, 50-50 split. So half of them are uh, exclusive and the other half sometimes have managers or other sort of representation. Let's say an investor says, hey, you know, I see, uh, I love the vision, but the influencer agency uh, space 
is crowded. It's very bubbly. There's too many players in the market. What do you say to that? That's the same thing with every industry. You know, uh, most of them there, and uh, even in space of like Uber space is getting crowded now, where all yeah. the different sort of uh, startup taxi hailing cab uh, companies are coming. For us, in terms of like what we bring to the table, uh, a couple things. So one, we're fortunate that we are under 30 years old. Majority, I think everybody in the team is. And what that allows us to do is the, the talent that we're representing, they're not who's currently popular, they're who's up next. The thinking is the mainstream creator agency, they may be focused on Selena Gomez right. or Bieber. Right. They're just going to miss uh, a lot of the people we're covering. They're not going to be engaging the people and understand the market like you. Exactly. And so you want to be kind of the the Essence magazine or BET in the in the space. Right, exactly. And then you look at, you know, cats like Everett Taylor and John Henry and a lot of those guys, they're doing a lot of amazing things right now for our culture. They're doing great things within their, their group of audiences, but they're they're only going to get bigger from here they're right they're going to get bigger to the point where they have mainstream fame and mainstream success and we fortunately have the opportunity to have a conversation with them today start working with them today so that when they do get to that point we're going to be the agency behind them that sounds like that's where you can get a, a lot of competitive advantage yeah you have for like sure a farm system uh, essentially you're right. finding them like an athlete earlier than everybody else there's a lot of fraud in uh social media marketing, influencer marketing, you go buy some likes, you go buy some followers. How much of that stuff over the last couple of years uh, has been cleaned up where the agency is not going out, not knowing that they're selling fraud? Like a lot of these followers, uh, maybe they're in Pakistan right. or, or India, or maybe they're bots, uh, you know, and, you know, how is fraud uh, being addressed uh, in this market? So uh, a lot of players have taken, you know, have actually stepped in trying to trying to help fix that problem. You have a lot of software now that exists that can sort of analyze the audience and give you a percentage. Maybe this person has seventy five percent real followers, eighty percent fake followers, that kind of thing. You're seeing for, buyers use that tech, right? When so, like, even you. for us, when we're bringing on new talent, we actually use that tech to help us in that decision process. Uh, but the the other thing is. We also have seen an increase in people actually use buying these follows and, and getting these bots. So it's one of those things where, like, while the technology is existing now to clean it, there's an increase of people using it. And the reason is it's the pressure that comes from brands and agencies. So my from from our experience, what we try to sell is we you know we definitely try to sell the reach, but we try to sell the fit, meaning that this audience is a great fit for who you're looking for. And we also try to sell that person's influence. There are people out there with 5,000 followers that can get four of those 5,000 to respond to something. Whereas there are people out there with 100,000 followers that can barely move the needle. You know, when you look at your uh, portfolio of uh, clients, how many of them percentage-wise uh, are buying based on shallow metrics of, I want likes, I want retweets, I want views. Uh, how many are still buying kind of with a, a, a shallow perspective of, of marketing? You're saying our clients like brands? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Like brand, brands. Right, right. Yeah, like, hey, uh, you know, I want you to find some influencers. Too, way too many. Way too Over many. Over 80% are still Over buying 80, on shallow Yeah, 100%. And, and from your perspective, I know you don't want to talk about your clients, but 
you do believe that that's dumb money going into the influencer system. 100%. Yeah. And I mean, we, we've we seen it. I mean, you know, there are like, we, we have companies like, and you know, and not going to say name the brands, but there are companies that are paying me, you know, $2,500 to post two things on Instagram story, right? And for me, with only about 15,000 followers, that's that's a lot of money for that, right? But they see the value that I bring into the table as a talent, but there are companies out there who they 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 care so little about the quality of the content. They care so little about everything else. They just want the reach. They just want to be able to tell. And it makes sense because the pressure comes from their the brand to the agency saying, I need numbers. So the agency now can say the potential reach is 300 million. Doesn't mean you're going to reach them. Yeah. But if we work with a creator that has 100,000 followers, then that increases what our projections will look like. And so it's it's I I, comp- I believe the influencer marketing space is broken. I think it needs a control alt delete and just to be rebuilt from the from the ground up. Yeah, it's just so like so there's messed so, up. It's it's because every you know the thing is every single player in the game, one they're selfish in their own ways, and two they don't mesh. Like when you have a social media software out there that helps companies cast, their goal is quality uh, quantity. They yeah. want to be I can get you fifty thousand influencers. But you're paying them fifty dollars each, right? That's yeah. so because that's the only way for that to make sense. Because you're already spending so much money on the software, so that platform does not work with a company like ours, where we want to we want to sell the influence. Yeah. We want to sell. You know, we'll give you ten really good fit rather than a hundred of people that sound like they're they're and, a good fit. And part of the solution isn't it uh, that the buyer they need to demand. Hey, I want to use uh, some type of conversion sy- system for registrations. I want right. to track my sales. Uh, I want to know exactly what I'm getting with an action. Right. Uh, that will weed out a lot of the the fraud and the noise and the fluff uh, in the market. You know what? What I also add to it's not even just influencer marketing, man. I think the entire marketing space, I think, is BS. Yeah. I think ninety percent of marketing is BS. Yeah. Like ninety percent is is just checking boxes. 90% of people who go to work every day at these agencies, at these brands, they're just checking off their to-do lists with no care of actually producing great work. Yeah. And, and it's, it, you know, I think it's frustrating for agencies out there who are really trying to bring quality to the game. But, you know, this is the space we're in. Let's talk about the economic uh, empowerment aspect of what you're doing, where from, from my view, uh, you have Google... Uh, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, uh, they are uh, generating obviously a massive amount of money on the backs of content creators. For sure. It makes me think uh, of a saying is like, why do you like the devil? Because he gives you nothing. And, (laughs) uh, you know, when I think about the pennies, when you look at the share prices, I don't think share prices, I don't think the right way to look at it is just profit and revenue of a Google or a Facebook. But when you look at the value being created at their share price level uh, on the back of content creators, uh, that's a massive problem. And so when you think about like, hey, what are the drivers of inequality? Well, you could start uh, at least in the digital space in terms of these massive corporations uh, 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 banking billions and billions of dollars of wealth and only having to kind of, hey, I'll throw you some crumbs here and there. Yeah. Uh, so h- how is this problem fixed? How do we disintermediate the Googles and the Facebook from 
pulling so much value off these black content creators and giving them nothing. You know, what, how do we saw this? How do, how, do we, how do we have like a scaled attack against that type of structure? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And it's one that I hope uh, somebody solves. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, but, but, but you do you but, see yourself kind of being a piece of that. Where, for sure. Where you, know, you, want, you want to promote, let's say I want to come to you. Hey, let's, let's partner with some uh, uh, black creators uh, and then we can transact uh, directly uh, with each other and we don't have to share any of the money with a Google or, or Facebook. Right. I mean, you know, you look at even a platform like Twitter, for example, right? I, I definitely think we play a, a little role, probably, a, you know, tiny fraction, but we play a role in that, like, if somebody was going to post a tweet that's going to go viral, is going to, you know, make it to the news, and then folks who's never heard of Twitter, right, they would, what is this Twitter thing? I want to go here now so I can start seeing things like this. That's tremendous value to Twitter. But where we come in, being able to at least have some dollar figures attached to that tweet, whether it's like it was a brand tweet or we got somebody to pay for it, it does help. It does help play a role. But I think there's a much bigger problem um, that I don't know what the solution is, you know, in terms of, you know, specifically to the question. But what I'll also say is um, I think Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, all those guys, you know, in, at the very beginning, at the very, 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 if we take it all the way back, this wasn't their intention, right? They just wanted to create a product that got people, you know, to allow you to connect with your friends and family in, in a very unique way, whether it's via images, via 24-hour snaps, or whatever the case may be. Obviously, the business model came afterwards, and they've been banking on building great products that got people like us to say, I like this, I want to use it. But, and, but, I, but I do think, like, respecting how they originally started, it was just a platform to help us connect. So with that said, there's also part of me that's also like, do we need to try to ask for more from them, right? If they need the business model to stay, to be, to be a business, right? To still exist for us to be able to do what we're doing, the, the vain thing of sharing pictures and sharing statuses and things like that. So it's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing that I don't know the solution for, but yeah. there are definitely a lot of, uh, I think a lot of different opinions that uh, are, are, are very important. Yeah, in, in my view, I would like to see uh, platforms develop uh, where uh, folks will come off the platforms of like a YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter. You can do all the like similar stuff, but there's like a um, a pot that rewards the content creators. Everything is on the back of the content creators. It rewards folks, and so. Uh, I can see some players stepping in where, hey, how you can defeat your your Googles, your Facebook, uh, your Snapchats is to create really good products, but there's an incentive system where more value goes back to the people. Do you see the social media players making it hard for players like you, where they see you like, hey, you're trying to get in the way of our business. Uh, where we want to control the advertising. You're coming in, partnering, helping these people to smarten up, understand their value, help them get $100,000, $50,000 checks based on their content creation and their and their built-in audience. Hey, we're, we're going to you know disallow you to do those type of activities. Are you see, seeing them crack down? They're definitely, definitely. What, I, what I've seen them do more so is not necessarily try to end it, but rather try to find a way to get a piece of the pot. So like you look at, 
even Instagram recently uh, allowing the sort of paid partnership with Tag. That that's a that concept is just mind blowing because if you think about it, years ago, anyone who would be paid to partner with a brand would be celebrities, right? Yeah. So now you look at Joe from down the block post something and on it on its tag with paid partnership with blah 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 brand. However, what that does now is it allows Instagram to be part of that conversation because now blah 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 brand can promote that content and boost it. So then that boosts Instagram makes some money. They're also able to track it and they can use that data to to resell that data or do whatever they need to do in terms of like X amount of our users doing this, X amount of our users doing that. So I think what I've seen is them really trying to come in and provide tools to help creators do the best that they can do, but with the intention of getting a piece of the pot. What pick my brain advice do you have for uh, black content creators scaling up, understanding their value and monetizing that value? There, there are tons of advice up there. I think one of the ones that's, that's important to know is it's, it's, it's very important to have a talent associated with whatever content you're creating. Um, you know, it's good to have that sort of that lifestyle. Hey, look at me. Hey, look at me thing. But you know, once all said and done, talent wins, you know? So I think it's important to figure out regardless of what content you're creating, there's a talent behind it, design, um, comedy, whatever that talent is. And, you know, I, I, secondly, I don't think we take ourselves serious enough as, and that's not even just a black thing. I think that's just a people thing in general, but I think us black creators, we don't take ourselves serious enough because we, we see people like, like us even doing, making money from these things. But we often look at it as, eh, that can never be me, right? You're saying that folks are not thinking seriously like, hey, this can become a million-dollar business right. if I'm thinking about it the right way and doing the right things. And doing things. the right things, yeah. right. Yeah. And, and, and I think the final thing I'll say, and this is, why, this is the, the reason why artists fail, why actors fail, why you know, a, a lot of the, you know, athletes even, it's not diversifying enough. You know, I think um, with whatever you're doing as a content creator, it's good to take whatever that talent is, but do different things with it. You know, when you're creating content on YouTube and maybe trying to get some money from ads, that's one uh, one avenue. Maybe create a course that you, you put on Udemy or your own platform. That's another way you're making money from your talent. So I think any creator who's trying to make money from their, their talent, it would definitely make a lot of sense uh, to figure out different ways to, to diversify their income specifically based on that talent. What pick my brain advice would you have for buyers uh, where, you know, hey, you can get more value with your marketing objectives, not going directly necessarily to Facebook or YouTube uh, or Snapchat or Twitter, but working directly uh, with the content creator or influencer. What is your, what is your advice for uh, small to medium-sized players where, hey, you know, you're going to get more value working directly uh, with the influencers. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think one of the things that we don't realize as people is when you hire a content creator to create a content for you, you're essentially hiring a creative team, uh, vide videographers. You know, if it's a video content, you're hiring copywriter, you're hiring media to help publish and share this thing out to the world. And you're even hiring for uh, buying somebody's likeness. But you're getting all of that under one roof. And, and the reason I think that's important is because 
if you were to take that that content and like do it the right way, which is hire four different people and do these different things, it would end up costing you a lot more than it would if you just hired that one creator who most of them can do all those things. So I think um, that hopefully that helps in terms of like seeing the value that a creator brings because in one campaign you can get 10 content that you can use for social media. You get three of them that could be posted on that creator's wall or, or their, their social feed that then brings people back to your business or back to your website. You have a person who's probably recognizable that is aligned to your business and that means something to, to, to people and you got all the content created and produced. So I think that should be should using that to not only see the value in infl- working with a creator, but also see the value in paying them more. Because if you're looking at them as like, that's a lot of money to pay a creator, look at it as how much would it cost me if I got this produced by hiring all these different players. Your top uh, partners, how much, you know, what type of checks are being written? How consistent is it? Uh, and then, you know, do you see like, hey, this platform is where uh, the bulk of the revenue is going? Can you talk to that? Right now, Instagram owns that space of like the platform. That's, that's where people are killing For it. sure. At least... 90% of our campaigns, maybe even more, and evolve some sort of Instagram. And so with our creators, we have creators that are um, overall reach of 800,000 followers. And we have creators with overall reach of 15,000 followers and sort of all the way in between. So in terms of the, the, the spendings that we're seeing and budgets that's coming to us, we're seeing $50,000 budgets. We're seeing $20,000 budgets, some of them for one creator some of them for a group of creators. So it's sort of like all over the place. And, you know, normally most of our engagement, we have, you know, most of our conversations start at 10,000, but it's sort of literally everywhere. And um, and to, to tell you sort of like what a $50,000 budget project may look like, for example, if it's multiple people, it's probably, you know, we're looking to cast maybe five to seven people to do X, Y, and Z. And if it's one person, it's probably like we're looking for one creator and a, who's going to be an ambassador for six months, who's going to create X, Y, and Z. How much money do I need to to work with you? Do you have like a minimum where, hey, based on how you're structured, I can't be, I, it's not going to be efficient for me to work with someone with a $500 budget or a $1,000 budget. Can you speak to that? And this is, this happens all the time. Anytime somebody comes and, and talks to us about working with creators and they say their budget is maybe $1,000, 1500 maybe even... There. Cool, not even street. that. I mean, yes, for sure. <laughs> right. Definitely not here. But, you know, there's yeah. a nicer way to say that. Yeah. And what I tell them is you're 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 probably going to get more bang for your buck buying some ads like you get more bang for your buck, putting that budget on one post that you create post, you know, and running on Facebook or Instagram or something like that. So, yeah, no, I was gonna say, so for us, um, most of the engagement that we, we talk about, good starting spot is about 10 grand. For, for like a brand to work with one creator. And then from that, we sort of build it up. So maybe if the creator's a larger creator, we may, they may just do one thing. Yeah, I know it's all over the map, but the, the best creators you have, how consistent is the money coming in uh, on the advertising side? Uh, so it's like, hey, I may not have a deal this month and a deal next month because I read about reports where, hey, someone's getting you know 10,000 or 20,000 for a couple of tweets or, uh, you know, a couple of videos, uh, the, the numbers sound like, whoa, they're making a killing, but I see it as, Hey, maybe that money is not very consistent. For sure. It's, it's, it's not, 
You know, yeah. I think if there's, you know, it's funny because there's a video that I'm going to be uh, putting together soon. It's going to be called something along the lines of like why influencers are broke or why entrepreneurs are broke or merging them together. And because th- there's a lot of similarities between the two, right? Because yeah. outside looking in, it looks great. Content looks good. News featured on this platform and featured on that platform and this and that. But it deep down doesn't really tell you what's really going on internally and influence marketing space is one of those where like you may have an opportunity in january then the next one doesn't happen until april then the next one doesn't happen until november then you have other folks who are in demand they have opportunities coming every day and that's really what what our experience has been with our different creators some of them are getting opportunities and you know not everything closes but the inquiries come in very often and others uh others they don't so with that said I think it's important as a creator, back to what I was saying about making sure you have a talent, The what we've seen from those who get sought out very often, they have a talent, is very clear who their audience is, is very clear sort of like what brand would make sense for them. Because then you can also negotiate higher rates. If you have college audience, all the, all the college brands would want to work with you. And not only that, you can negotiate higher rates because you're more rare, right? Than a yeah. regular person out there who's just posting to everybody. So it's, that's what it is. I mean, some folks get reached out to once every quarter, you know, and some of the, and some folks get opportunities once every quarter. Others get opportunities every day. How does Shade scale up from here? Like what's your next step? Yes. Uh, Fantastic make, question. Make it bigger. The last two years, if there's anything we've learned is that we're more uh, valuable to our creators, working with them sort of like one by one. Uh, the last two years, most of our work has been sort of like mass, meaning a company comes to us, they're looking for 10 people, we give them 10 of our folks. Somebody's looking for five, so that kind of thing. So the next step for us is bringing on individual agents to represent all of our creators. And the our, how we scale from here is really, uh, back to what I was saying earlier about helping creators make money from their talents, our mission from Shade is helping creators, you know, get paid for their dopeness, right? So with that said, taking those talent and seeing where else we can apply them. So the brand campaign is one thing. You know, if you're a great, if you're a comedian, the brand campaign is one thing. But what else can we do? Can we put a show? Uh, can we do a comedy show and, and take it on tour? Can we do a comedy book? Can we do a, a TV show and get it sponsored by a brand or get it uh, partner with a media publication and launch it and then sell ads within it? Yeah. So right now... The next step for us is exploring what else can we do within our creator network to help them get paid for what they do, which also will then help us, you know, get paid as well. So for those who get contacted once every quarter or once every six months, while they wait for those contacts to happen, they have other things they're doing where they're making money from their audience and other things like that. Okay, so uh, for our audience, folks who want to learn more about what you're doing and also want to consider working with your agency, where, where can they find you online? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can go to, on every social media platform, I'm Jacques H. Bastian. You can find me there. Shade.co is the agency. Um, and then boogiebrands.co is the umbrella company that has, that basically, that's the website that has all of our companies. Boogiebrands.co, Shade.co, and Jacques H. Bastian on social media. All right, thanks, brother, for coming on the show. Thanks Let's for go. Having me. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Go. You can check me out at Jamarla Martin on Twitter and also come check us out at moguldom.com. That's M-O-G-U-L-D-O-M.com. Be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter. You can get the latest information on crypto, tech, economic empowerment, and politics. Let's go.